right, Matthew chapter 4. We are continuing our series that we're calling Bodybuilding God's Way. And basically what we're doing is we're talking about spiritual disciplines or those, those things that we do regularly in our life in order to grow spiritually as a Christian. And we've identified five basic pieces of bodybuilding equipment that God uses in our life. And these five things are the Bible, which we'll talk about this week and next week, prayer, which we'll begin in a couple of weeks. Um, very excited about some of the things we're going to learn in that. Um, church, for example, one of the things we'll learn there is one of the main reasons why we go to church. And I can almost guarantee that if I were to take a survey as to what do you think the most important reason why we go to church is, out of our group today, we may have two people get it right. Maybe two. Because everybody I've asked since I started studying this, none of them have gotten it right. But we're going to learn that when we get to church and how God uses that in our life. You'll be shocked at uh, when you study the Scripture what He says. Then the fourth thing is the people that God sends into our life. Nobody comes into our life by accident. There is a reason. And we're going to talk about that. And then the, the last thing is the personal experiences that we go through, both good and bad, God uses those things to help us grow spiritually. And we'll talk about how he does it and so forth. Now, with each of these five things, we're going to examine three basic aspects of each thing. Number one, what does it do for us? The Bible. Last week we talked about what does the Bible actually do for us. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we saw that the Bible tells us who God is and what he's like. Then it teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us, it exposes our hearts for us. It does all these things. So we learn what the Bible does for us. Today, we're going to talk about how to use it. So this piece of spiritual bodybuilding equipment, we know it's the Bible. We know what it does for us. Well, how do we use it? Next week, we're going to talk about the results. What kind of results can you expect? And when we take how to use it and the results and put them together... It's going to make uh, complete sense to you as to how this practically works every day in your life, okay? So we're going to do those three things with all five of these areas of our life and how God uses them. So let's look at Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start today. How do we use the Bible? We know what it does for us. Okay, how do we use it? Well, let me, let's go through several things. First of all, let's look at the main way the Bible is used in our life spiritually. In Matthew chapter 4... And we actually studied this passage of Scripture in our Bible study um, on Thursday night. Let me point out just a couple of things to you. This is the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. I want you to look at verse number 3. The Bible says the tempter, Satan, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. 
All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Let's pause here for just a second. Someone may say, how can you tempt God by saying, I'll give you everything in the world to own, when we know God already owns everything? This is part of the emptying of Christ in order to be our human sacrifice for our sins. According to Philippians chapter 2, he took upon him the form of a human, a servant. Well, to do that, he set aside his godly attributes so he could literally in every way be in our position. According to Hebrews 4, the Bible says he was tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. In order for that to be true, he had to be totally humanity in his existence to feel what we feel, to be able to legitimately be tempted like we are. That's what this is talking about. As God, this would be no temptation. As a human being, born in obscurity with nothing, this would be a huge temptation. So the Bible teaches us in Hebrews 4, he was tempted like us, but he never sinned, not one time. So that's what's going on here. Notice how he answered in verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I want you to notice a couple of things here in three different verses. Jesus is being tempted by Satan. How did he respond? Well, he did not respond by saying, Let's discuss this. Let me tell you what I think. Uh, Let's negotiate. What if we just do part of it? I want you to notice what he did. In verse number 3, the tempter tempts him. In verse number 4, Jesus answered, it is written. Then he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Look down at verse number 7. Jesus answered him, it's also written. And then he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. Interesting in this particular temptation, Satan used the scripture to tempt him. Scripture used out of context is just as powerless as no scripture at all. Jesus put it in context by comparing Scripture with Scripture. He said it is also written. And when you put what Jesus quoted and what Satan quoted together, you know that the temptation was not legitimate. Because that is not what God is saying in the passage Satan quoted. But we know that because of other passages of Scripture that shed light on that. That's what Jesus did. The third time he was tempted, in verse 10, Jesus said, Away from me, Satan. Here it is again, for it is written, and then he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. Now, why did he quote Deuteronomy? Because that's all the Bible they had at that time. They had the Old Testament law. That's what he used. So what was he doing? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, describes for us the Christian's armor. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, or the word there literally means the deceitful schemes of the devil. Then it lists all these parts of the Christian's armor. In verse 17, it lists the only offensive piece of armor. Everything else is a defensive piece of armor. The helmet, the breastplate, the the girdle that goes around that was made of metal to protect against... um, rock and glass and things that would be thrown. The only offensive piece of of armor that is talked about is talked about in verse 17. The Bible says, 
and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you know that the Bible is the piece of the Christian armor that we literally take up and attack Satan with? Everything else is to protect us from the fiery darts of the wicked. The sword of the Spirit is what we drive him away with. Everything else just protects us when he's near. The sword sends him away. That's why Jesus said in verse number 10, Away from me, Satan. Not just, I'm going to endure it. Number two, I'm going to defeat it. I want you gone. Away from me. The only way to do that is with the Scripture. So the Word of God, how do I use it? Primarily, I use it as the offensive weapon when I'm tempted to sin and when I'm being tempted by Satan. It is the weapon I use to fight the enemy. All right. Now we kind of know what it's used for. That's how we use it. We know what it does for us. That's how we use it. All right. How do I effectively use it? How do I know how to get the results that we'll talk about next week with this weapon? Okay. I'm going to give you now five things. Five very practical things that we do with this spiritual bodybuilding piece of equipment. These are the exercises we do. These are the reps, so to speak, that you exercise with when you use this piece of equipment. Number one, you read it. In Nehemiah chapter number 8, it's interesting, in verses 2 and 3 of Nehemiah 8, the Bible is talking about when the children of Israel had gone back to Jerusalem, they had rebuilt the wall, they had rebuilt the temple, and Ezra the scribe found the book of the law. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 2, he opened the book of the law and he read it aloud. Do you, does anybody know how long he read it? Literally from the dawning of the day until midday, about six hours. Then they kept going in the afternoon. Literally reading. Now, in verse number 8 of that same chapter, it tells us what they did after they read it. The Bible says they made it clear and caused the people to understand what was being read. So literally, the first thing you and I have to do with the Bible, if we're going to use it effectively, is we have to read it, we have to listen to it, and we have to understand it. Or it does me no good. If I don't ever read it, I don't ever listen to it, and I don't understand it, it's not going to help me. It's interesting in that passage of Scripture, and I, I thought about this, they were reading this book all this time. Now, you've got to understand, what would it be like if we came here this morning and I started reading in Matthew chapter 4 and literally read from Matthew chapter 4 to the end of the book of Matthew, and all I did was read. And then I stopped, and I said, let's pray. Well, most of you, after about chapter 7 or 8, would be sound asleep. You know what the Bible says about these people? They listened attentively. Now, don't, don't start feeling guilty if you fell asleep. Your situation and their situation is a little different. They've just come out of 70 years of captivity in which, for 70 years, they never saw or heard from this book. Number two, they were there because of their disobedience to this book. Ezra, now that they're back, they're home, 
Their temple's rebuilt. Their walls are rebuilt. They're back home again. Peace. Joy. You know one of the reasons they're reading it? And you find later in the passage when they begin to have revival, the people said, wait a minute. We haven't done some of these things. You know why they were so attentive? The reason they spent 70 years in captivity is because they disobeyed this book. Now they're listening to it again. You know why? So that we don't ever disobey it again because we don't want to go back into captivity. So their situation and our situation is a little bit different. Okay? If you did something wrong that caused you years of anguish and pain, when all that was over and you were back to normal again, would you be a little bit hesitant and afraid even that you might do something wrong and end up right back in the same situation? When I was 16 years old, we were in Daytona Beach on vacation. I'd had my driver's license for just a few months. I had a buddy of mine, and we had taken our family station wagon, gone to the store to get some food, and we're coming back to the beach. We were going through a back neighborhood, and every other street had a stop sign on it. We came to one intersection. There was a large brick wall that blinded your view to the left. There was a stop sign and a big green van parked literally about a foot from the stop sign. Well, yours truly didn't see it. I went through the stop sign, and we were broadsided by another vehicle on my side of the car. Shoved us off to the right side of the road. We hit a concrete embankment, totaled our station wagon. I had on nothing but a pair of shorts. I got a bump on the head. My buddy got a bump on the head. That was it. Not hurt. To this day, I was 16. I'm 51 years old. When I drive through any intersection... The lower part of my back tightens up to this day. You know why? Because of a horrible situation that I fear may happen again. Do you know why these people listen attentively? They just spent 70 years of hell on earth because they disobeyed the book that was being written and read to them. They wanted to make sure we don't ever disobey this book again. That's why later in the chapter where they read the part about dwelling in booths during the Feast of the Tabernacles, it was that time of the year, and the people immediately began to weep and say, we are not doing this. We need to do this. Why? Because we don't want to get in trouble again. But you know how most people today approach this book? This is the instructions on how to be successful in life. I would say there's a lot of humans today that could probably use this information. Seeing that life is very difficult. This is how to be successful. If I really believe that, or if I believe that if I disobey this book, bad things can happen, I probably would be a little more attentive than I am. But we get lulled into this complacency. Okay? So that's the only reason that these people were so attentive. So, first of all, how do I use this thing effectively? I've got to read it, I've got to listen to it, and I've got to understand it. Number two, another passage. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 says, This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate therein day and night. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law 
He does meditate day and night. The second thing we do is we meditate on the Scripture. Take your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me show you an interesting passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And while you're finding your place there, the word, the Hebrew word here, translated meditate, literally means to speak, to mutter, to sigh, or to ponder. It kind of gives the idea that mentally I talk to myself about this. In other words, if I'm meditating on the principles of God's Word, I've learned something and I'm kind of talking to myself about it in my mind. And I, I've told you this. I hope everybody understands we all talk to ourselves. Some of us just do it out loud, but we all talk to ourselves. Okay? It's called thinking. That's what it is. Now, maybe some of us should talk to ourselves more often, but that, that's all it is. It's thinking. Have you ever heard somebody describe, or maybe you, I know I've said it about myself, I can't believe that. What was I thinking? Well, the obvious answer was, you weren't. <laughs> so maybe I should have talked to myself a little more. But that, that's kind of the idea here of meditating, is I've got these principles in my mind that I've learned from the Bible, and I'm talking to myself about them over and over again. I'm thinking about them. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God describes for us a practical way that this happens primarily within the family. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God is one Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. By the way, this is a prerequisite to those who properly meditate on the Scripture. If God is not the number one love of my life, priority in my life, and I long to love and obey and be like Him more than anything, it's going to be very difficult for me to discipline myself to meditate. Okay, So that's why he begins with this passage. As a matter of fact, we won't read it, but if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 11, he reiterates this same passage. But now look what he says. After you've settled the fact that you love him with all your heart, look at verse number 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Literally, my mind. My inner being. That's, that's what the heart's referring to. They're to be on my heart. In other words, I'm to be conscious of them. Not hear a little bit about them on Sunday morning and then tuck them away in a cupboard somewhere until next Sunday morning. They're to consciously be a part of my life. Now, how does this happen? Verse 7. Impress them on your children. Speaking of the parents. Well, how do we do that? Well, Bill doesn't sit his family down and preach a sermon once a day. That's not how you do it. How do you do this? Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road. When you lie down. When you get up. How do you impress them upon your children? How do we meditate or impress them upon our own life? We make them a part of our actual daily life. When I lie down, when I get up, when I'm sitting at home, when I'm walking along the road, what is he saying? The same thing Jesus said to Peter when Peter said, how many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. He wasn't saying count to 490 and then you don't have to forgive anymore. It was a phrase meaning always. You know what this passage is saying? How do you impress them upon your children? How do you get them into your life? You talk about them and think about them all the time in every aspect of your life. 
There's another passage we're going to look at in a minute that, that impresses and kind of reemphasizes this. But here's an example of that. Something happens in your life this afternoon. Does the first thought hit your mind, well, what does the Bible say and how should I respond based upon what the Bible says? Or, like I do a lot of times, unfortunately, do we just knee-jerk react? By the way, knee-jerk is a good modern term for the flesh. That's all it is. And by the way, is that not our normal way to respond? Sure it is. That's why the flesh in the Bible is called the natural man, because that's what's natural to us. I mean, that's just how we respond, okay? So, I have to make a conscious effort. Remember, we're, we're bodybuilding here. I have to consciously use this book by thinking about it and applying it to my life every day. But that takes a conscious effort. It's not going to come natural. But after we do it a while, it becomes more natural than it was. Have you ever been around a person that every time something comes up, they would say, well, you know, the Bible says, or Jesus said, or, you know, as a Christian, we should, and that's what the Bible, have you ever been around somebody like that? And people say, every time something happens, you're always bringing up the Bible. You're always talking about God, bringing up the Bible. If they ever say that about you, you can be spiritually encouraged. You're doing the right thing. That's what this is. That you think God. That's what dominates your mind. That's what meditation is. And it takes a lot of work for us to get to the point to where that is one of the first thoughts that enters our mind when situations come into our life. Okay? So, that's basically what meditation is. And it's, it's work. We've got to practice and, and work at that. All right, number three. Read it, listen, understand. Meditate on it. Number three, memorize it. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If Satan's going to tempt me and I'm going to need some of this to pull out and use on him, I need to make sure I've got some of it up here to pull from. One of the things that I get asked quite often is, how did you memorize so many verses? And I'll tell you the honest truth. I had a lady come to me years ago after I preached one night in a revival meeting. She said, I counted them. You quoted 71 verses in your message tonight. Well, the reason I did was because when I would prepare my lessons, I would then go back and memorize all the verses. The reason was it was a whole lot easier for me to use a lot of verses in a shorter amount of time if I didn't have to wait for everybody to look them up. If I just quote them, I can get more of them out there. If i got to wait for everybody to look them up, it's going to take forever. So I just used it as my way to memorize the Scripture. And I used lots of verses in my lessons and my messages because I wasn't smart enough to think of stuff on my own. So I just taught the Bible. Novel idea. But that's how I got started. You'll notice I teach out of the NIV. But whenever I quote verses in here, it's always out of King James. Because that's how I started. That's how I learned. I still memorize today out of the King James Version of the Bible because that's how I started. It's easier for me to memorize it. I still memorize today. I go through these lessons. The verses are written for you to look up later. I've already memorized most of them because I've only got like 25 minutes. You need to get into the practice of memorizing verses. 
Just take one verse a week and memorize it. You'll have 52 verses memorized in a year. 52 verses that you will probably never forget. That you can use in your daily life as a sword to fight off the devil. Okay? So you memorize it. Number four, search it and measure everything by it. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, the Bible says the people of Berea had more noble character than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily when they heard Paul preach to make sure it was really in the Bible. Now this kind of goes back to meditating. We need to make sure that we measure everything by the Bible because the Bible is our manual for success. So get into the habit of every time something comes up in your life, a reaction, um, a decision you've got to make, um, a situation in your life, you're trying to figure out how to handle it, start to get into the habit of asking yourself, what does the Bible tell me I should do? What principle in the Bible should I follow in this situation? Now remember, we're, we're working out spiritually here. This is not easy. It's work. And you've got to work at it. But get into the habit of applying the Scripture to everything in your life. And then finally, apply it and obey it. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. You know, I can read it. I can memorize it. I can meditate on it. I can understand it. I can learn it. I can measure everything by it. But at the end of the day, after I've done all of that, I have one decision to make. I have a situation come up in my life. What does the Bible say? Well, here's what the Bible says because I've memorized it. Well, I'm measuring it by the Bible. How should I respond to this situation? Well, here's what the Bible says I ought to do. Now, I have a choice to make. Either I change what I was going to do to match what the Bible says, or I ignore the Bible and just go ahead and do what I'm going to do anyway. At that point, the value and the usefulness and the spiritual growth that takes place is dependent totally upon what decision I make. All the stuff we talked about doesn't help us grow at all if we don't obey it. I have to do what it says. As we do that, all of a sudden, this tool begins to change the way I live my life. I was just about to do this, but I've learned the Bible, I've meditated on it, I've memorized it, a verse came back to my mind, I applied it to this situation, I knew what I needed to do, and I changed my response to match the Bible. You let that happen in your life three or four times a day, that's how our lives change to be more like Christ. It's that whole process. Sitting in a class on Sunday morning don't change you. Sitting in church three times a week, don't change us. Quoting 45 verses doesn't change us. Doing all that and then obeying it, that changes us. That's where spiritual growth comes from. That may be the hardest exercise we do with this piece of spiritual growth equipment. Okay? So... That's how you use it. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the results we can expect, and we'll get into even more practical applications of how this begins to affect our life, okay? Thank you, Lord, for your word. And we know it's our manual for success. We know that if we do what it says, it's going to guarantee us blessing. 
and fulfillment in your will and peace and joy. Father, we know all that. But yet it's still difficult for us to discipline our flesh to do what it says. And we need your help. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and you're so patient with us. Help us to be good students of your word, to be obedient. And may your Holy Spirit encourage us as we seek to apply your word to our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go to our breakouts. Men. Yes.